Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit EnrichmentRetreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. I've been pastoring since I was 21 years of age. And uh, that's a whole story in and of itself. We'll leave that one alone. But um, over the course of that time, I struggled on and off. And the older I got and the more involved in ministry I got, I struggled on and off with two things, with anxiety and depression. Now, by the way, it does not bother me to say that to you. It doesn't bother me at all. In fact, the truth of the matter is, if I pretended differently, I could be of no help to anyone in this room. But if, if I'm honest enough and looking at things, and, and by the way, my wife, she can't be here with us tonight, but my wife would testify that there were times when it was difficult. Now, my congregation never would have known this. They never would have known this. My wife would have known this. We're all very good in front of our congregations at keeping it all together. But there were times, there were difficult times, periods of this, bouts of it, on and off. Now, by the way, I'm not ashamed of that. Do you know who else suffered from this? Charles Haddon Spurgeon went through horrible times. In fact, I would recommend for you, if you want to jot something down, there's a book that was put together of all of his teaching regarding depression. He was light years ahead of his time in regard to this matter, and a, a, a doctoral student at a university put this together. It's called Spurgeon's Sorrows, the little book called Spurgeon's Sorrows, everything Spurgeon had to say on that particular topic. There was also another man who went through this, Winston Churchill. How many people knew that? Winston Churchill went through these kind of things. But I figure there are a lot of people out there. And so as I would talk to pastors, I found more and more pastors would call or we would talk. And when we're transparent together, maybe over a cup of coffee or just on the cell phone together, when we're transparent together, uh, there was this sense that um, we would share these things among ourselves and talk among ourselves, but no one would ever share it with anybody else. Then something happened. Just over a year ago, I lost my twin brother in death. I'm, I'm not going to go into all of the detail of that, but it was the most difficult time of my life. The past year, 2017, was the hardest year that I've ever faced. I enjoyed coming down here to Bible conference. It was roughly a month after that had taken place. And uh, Dr. Shoemaker, I want to say this to you, because I don't know if I ever did. I want to tell you how much I appreciate last year's Bible conference and how this campus embraced me. I just, I just want to let you know that. That was huge in my life. But I went through that difficult time, and as a result of what happened, my elderly mother came to live with us. She will turn 89 years old in April. Uh, that is such an adventure. Anyone ever had an elderly person live with them? Uh, Sunday night, I came home from church, and my mother didn't go to Sunday night church. It was 9 o'clock or so when I got home from church. And, and uh, she was all dressed up, and she was in the kitchen. She was making coffee. I said, Ma, what are you doing? She said, oh, she said, I'm up for, she said, I'm up for the day, and I'm making coffee. She had gone to bed at 6, awakened before I got home, decided it was morning, and was making coffee. I, what do you do? I just said, Mom, go back to bed. I said, look, I said, it's not morning. I said, it's still night. She said, well, I wondered why it was so dark out there. <laughs> First, uh, there have been a thousand different incidences like that uh, in the year that Mom has now lived with us. I, I'm going to say this. I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. I wouldn't trade the opportunity to care for her for anything in the world. 
But during that time, because of all the things that had happened, the pressure and the stress, and then pressure from the church, which only adds to this, I found myself in a state of anxiety. I found myself troubled about some things. I got to the point where I needed to have a definite answer. I needed something definite. So I, I did some study. I talked to some people, and I came across some things in Scripture. Now, now let me explain about what I'm going to be teaching over the next four sessions. Everything I'm going to give you is in the pages of the Bible. I have studied the Bible since I got saved back in the eighth grade. I've studied the Word of God. And all of these things that we're going to talk about, they are clearly on the pages of the Bible. But as a student of the Bible, I had failed to connect the dots. In in other words, I had never read, nor have I ever seen, a systematic theology of thinking. In other words, a philosophy that is fully biblically based by which we control our thoughts and thereby can do away with some of the anxiety and the depression. Um, The Centers for Disease Control tell us that 6 million Americans are afflicted with something called generalized anxiety disorder. 6 million each day. In other words, they feel anxious for something. Some people aren't even sure why they feel anxious. Those people that have anxiety, and the Bible says we're to be careful for nothing, so we should try to rid ourselves of this malady. Those people who have anxiety... Of them, 90% have a paired disorder. Here are some of the paired disorders. Are you ready? Now, don't do this. If you're fine, don't self-diagnose right now, okay? The last thing I want is hypochondriac pastors, okay, and hypochondriac wives. But, but 90% have a paired disorder, usually depression, Sometimes something called suspicious mind, that is overactive intuition and speculation. Some intolerable uncertainty. In other words, we can't tolerate, we don't know what's going to happen, so we're not sure. What are the causes of this? Well, the number one cause is stress. Does anyone in the room know what stress is all about? Okay, ministry people. Some, for some, it's medication. Some sleep aids can cause these things. Um, Increasing studies are demonstrating that the stress of our cell phone can be a trigger for certain types of anxiety. But what I want to talk about tonight and in my sessions is this. Frankly, our failure to process things biblically. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm not a doctor in the sense of a medical doctor. I think that there are some people who require medication. So I'm not telling anyone to get off of your medication. Am I being very clear about that? I don't give medical advice in that sense. But I think the majority of people, if we'll think it through carefully, we cause ourselves the anxiety that we face. And here is the answer to the problem. And I'm speaking in general, and in my next sessions I'll drill down more. But here is the answer. We must become the guardians of our mind or of our thoughts. We must become the guardians of our mind. Now, take your Bible, turn to Proverbs 23. We're going to look at one principle from Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse number 7. The Bible says this, using an illustration of something unrelated, but it applies because it's a general illustration. The Bible says in verse 7, the general principle, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
We often quote that verse by saying, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It is a general principle in Proverbs 23 applied to a specific situation, but a general principle that applies to all. In other words, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. I want you to notice something. The beginning of that verse speaks of our thinking. Now listen carefully, please. If I'm a person prone to anxiety, it is my conviction, and I'll unpack it from the Bible in a moment, it is my conviction from that verse of Scripture and many others that I'll share with you that my anxiety and often depression, usually they're two sides of the same coin in a lot of people's lives, that that originates in my thoughts. Let me do this. Now, I have a a marker board. I hope most of you can see this. Can most of you see this? It's very simple. You'll you'll catch on. Uh, Dr. Shoemaker, Dr. Adkins had asked if I needed a PowerPoint and electronic things, and I think he even offered me a a smoke machine for something. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure. Uh, And when I asked him for a marker board, he chuckled. And I, uh, I said, surely you have one somewhere in the archives of the college, buried away back somewhere in the, in the archives of the school. Uh, I'm going to draw on the, the board a triangle, something like that. And then I'm going to, and you could write this in your notes if you're writing something. In this corner, I'm going to write the word thought. The word thought, okay, the word thought. On the top, the pinnacle, I'm going to write the word emotion, Or you could put the word feeling, either one of those. And then the bottom, I'm going to write the word behavior. Now, I want to show you something from the Bible. We just read from the book of Proverbs, and there's a principle. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, watch as I break this down. As a man thinketh, that is the thought. Does everybody follow this? And then, as a man thinketh in his heart, the heart speaks of the emotion. Does everyone follow this? And then the so is he is the behavior. Now, now watch carefully. According to that biblical principle, my thoughts produce my emotion. My emotion drives my behavior. This is an important paradigm to understand. Because what that means is that the problem begins, if I've got a problem with the emotion, the problem begins with the thought. And this is very key. It actually answers a lot of questions as to why people are driven to certain behaviors. And I'm going to use some illustrations after a while. But the thought, the way that I think, produces the emotion. As a man thinketh in his heart produces a behavior, so is he. I want you to keep that paradigm in mind as we cover this. Now you say, Pastor Monty, is that a scriptural principle? Yes, let's consider. First, looking at the corner concept, the word thoughts. What does 2 Corinthians tell us? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations. What is an imagination? It is a thought. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Now, pause there for a moment. In our circles, often... That verse is used to talk about, well, you know, you've got to make sure you have pure thoughts, that your thoughts are not impure, that they are not lustful thoughts. We often use that verse to apply in that area. Perfectly fine, good application. But I think we've used that verse so much to apply to that one area that we've narrowed it down to that one thing, when in reality it's not directly speaking of that in the passage. But it is casting down imaginations or thoughts, 
and every high thing, what? That exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. I'm to cast them down. Another verse, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, speak of our thoughts. Look at this. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is the expression of our heart's thoughts. Everything by prayer, the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. So the whole idea is this. It begins in my thought life. I'm responsible to do something to change my thinking. Well, you say, Pastor Monty, how does it affect my emotions? Well, think about the word emotions. Under emotions, you might jot down Philippians 4.4. Rejoice! That's an emotion, right? Where do we rejoice? In the Lord. That's who we think about to rejoice. If we're thinking about him, the rejoicing comes. Isaiah 26, verse 3. I love this. You, you know the verse. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, who is a good Baptist. No, 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 no. Thou wilt keep him in perfect... Say it with me. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. What, what does that mean? Perfect peace... Well, Pastor Monty, I know how to have perfect peace. If I'm spiritual enough and I sit down near a quiet lake somewhere and I bow my head, all of a sudden the dove of peace is going to descend from the heavenlies. It will be a mystical and passive experience and I will be filled with peace. My study of the New Testament found this. Peace is not something that is granted to you on a passive basis. In fact, if you're disobedient to Scripture, and we're going to get into this in great detail, if you're disobedient to Scripture, peace is not really a possibility. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace who, say it with me, whose mind is stayed on thee. In other words, my thoughts are anchored on something, and then I'm kept in perfect peace. Now, look at the paradigm again. So our thoughts produce our emotions. We're thinking back to Proverbs. Our emotions drive our behavior. What's a good biblical example of that? A positive example of this, Noah being moved with fear, prepared an ark, built an ark to the saving of his house. He was moved with fear and the fear produced the behavior. So if I understand that my emotions are triggered by my pattern of thought, if my emotions are not right, I should change my thinking. This is what I'm going to challenge you to do. There is a method whereby you can... Now, you said, Pastor Monty, it sounds exciting. This sounds so much like an infomercial, doesn't it? It sounds exciting. But will I be able to do it? The answer is yes, if you will commit to it and be consistent. All the preaching and teaching in the world doesn't help if I don't apply it. So I have to be willing to apply it. So how do we eliminate anxiety by controlling our thoughts? Okay, 2 Corinthians, turn there please. Look at chapter 10. I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, verse number 5. Again, notice these words. I've got the complete verse here. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Now note these next words. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought is captured. The first thing you need to do is this, is learn to capture your thoughts. 
Here was my problem. Maybe it's yours. For many years, I never thought about my thoughts. Isn't that deep? I never thought about them. We used to pass money. Well, they were just running around random. They were, they were like, like, like wild broncos. They were, they were free to wander through my mind. So it was all to money. If we were to control them, it would, it would stop our creativity. No, no, not at all. They would just be random. So how many know that you can be thinking about one thing and then all of a sudden think about another thing? You're having a great day and then you're having a bad day and all these thoughts are running around through your mind randomly. The Bible says we're to capture our thoughts. It begins with my ability to actually think about the way that I am thinking. Now, now let me ask you a question. How many of you, when you're thinking, think in sentences? Do you? Have you ever thought about it? (laughs) Some people are staring at me right now and saying, I've never thought about this. Okay, well, what I'm asking you is when you think, do you often think in complete English sentences? No? No? Actually, experts say that smart people do. No, no, just kidding, just kidding, just just kidding. Um, Some people do and some people don't. But in, in the process, according to what the Bible says, I have to learn to capture my thoughts. I need to control them. Can I make a suggestion to you? We tell our young people to discipline every aspect of their lives, do we not? We talk about their academic discipline and their study habits. We talk about their physical discipline and their exercise. We discipline them about what they're to eat. Some of us discipline, hopefully, our young people regarding the amount of uh, screen time that they have on an electronic device. We discipline every part of their life. We want to structure. Pastor Monty, of course, it has to be structured and disciplined. It has to be well thought through because we want them to be the best they can be. And we never one time teach them to discipline their thinking. And thoughts are the main problem, the main source of our issue. So first we capture our thoughts. It means to control our thinking. Oh, Pastor Monty, I can't possibly do that. Well, because it's just, that's just the way I think. Wait a minute. If you're saying you can't, then you're saying you cannot obey the Bible. Because very specifically in Philippians 4 verse 8, the Bible gives us a list of things to think about. In fact, preachers, if you'll do this, it'll be an incredibly interesting Bible study. I did this recently. Go through the New Testament and consider everything that the New Testament says concerning how you think. When you put that together, you will be absolutely amazed at the volume of material that is present. It would be a, it would be a good sermon. But I must be able to control my thoughts, and only I can do this. If someone says to me, Pastor Monty, you're just telling me to forget about certain things. No, 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 I'm not. I'm telling you to control your thinking. May I make a statement here? If you can't control your thinking, who's gonna? Who's gonna? And doesn't the Bible teach we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? And doesn't the Bible teach us over and over again how to think and what to think? Repeatedly. That being the case, the scriptural assumption is that I do have some level of control over my thinking. The problem is we've become used to undisciplined thinking. To capture our our thoughts means this. You must confront your thinking, determining if it is legitimate and biblical. Now, this is the key. Every person who is bitter has arrived at bitterness 
from a lengthy period of undisciplined and unbiblical thinking. Oh, but Pastor Monty, you know, I can't help how I feel. The thinking produced the feelings, and the feelings turn into bitterness, and sometimes that goes into action. You must confront your thinking. When, when I first faced the pressures that I faced this last year, I wasn't sure how to deal with them. I wasn't sure how. And, and at some, some point, I decided that I needed to sift through my own thinking. Do you know what I discovered? Some of it was biblical. After all, I, I am a pastor of 30 years. <laughs> some of it was biblical. Do you know what else I discovered? Some of it was not biblical. And when I analyzed and captured my own thinking, I recognized how easy it is for even someone who has studied the Bible for many, many years to slip out of a biblical pattern of thinking and fall into a pattern of thinking that is unhealthy, that is not right, that is not good. So I I wanted to confront that. And you say, Pastor, how do you do this? It requires discipline. Let, Let me give you an example, okay? You go to church, and you have a rotten Sunday. Anyone ever been there? Come on, anyone? Am I the only one? I one time had, I preached Dr. Adkins one time such a horrible sermon. It was on a Sunday night. It was horrible. It was one of those sermons that not, it wouldn't even get off the ground. It wouldn't even go down the runway. Have you ever been there? And I'm, I'm preaching this sermon. I'm looking at my audience. And the whole crowd is lost. They're lost. And I'm preaching this sermon, and I'm lost. It was, and, and, and as I'm preaching, how many of you preachers, when you're preaching, you're also thinking to yourself? I am. I'm thinking all the time. And, okay, everyone has that experience. Okay, you're thinking to yourself, you're like, I wonder what I'm going to say next, and I'm not quite sure. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the world's worst sermon. And I'm thinking, I'm actually thinking, while I'm preaching, I'm thinking, I am so bored of me. Okay. <laughs> So, so finally it dawned on me, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And in the middle of some sentence of random nothingness, on a Sunday night, I looked at my church, whom I've now pastored for 20 years, and I said, folks, I said, let's just be honest. This sermon's horrible, it's not going anywhere, and you're bored. And then they all started to laugh, and then I said, so we're going to close in a word of prayer, and you're going home. And people laughed, and we prayed, and they went home. People who were there said, people who were there then proclaimed it was the best message they had ever (laughs) heard in the history of my ministry. I've learned, I've learned that I cannot allow my thinking to be random, that I must capture my thinking, my thoughts. It requires personal discipline. The ability to know yourself well enough to think about how you're thinking and then to recognize when the thought is unbiblical. Okay, Pastor Monty, I'm going to start thinking about how... By the way, by the way, see, when you get down about something, think about what you've just been thinking about that brought you down. Well, Pastor, I I don't know. Sometimes I just get in a bad mood. Maybe it was from thinking the day before, okay? But think about the thought that brought you to where you are, the anxiety, whatever you're dealing with. Think about it and capture that thought. Now, there are two things to do with it. What do you do with it when you capture it? What do you do with it? The first thing, this is a possibility, possibility number one, is to refuse the thought. Refuse the thought. Okay. In other words, you must stop unbiblical thinking in its tracks. 
Even say to yourself, no, I don't think about that, and then don't think about it. Now, now I want everyone to look at me. He said, Pastor Monty, this, sounds, this works. But it works if you work it, and you have to get very disciplined. How many in this room, because I'm about to raise my hand, how many in this room would say there are certain things, if you think about them, they could cause you anxiety or depression? Is there, look at all the hands. Look at all the hands in this room. Okay, okay, okay. So, so I know this sounds simple-minded. Stop thinking about it. Stop it. Okay, now, now, when I first started to practice this, I thought there might be something unhealthy to this. I've done some actual research with a psychologist friend of mine who says this is some of the most healthy steps you can take, a doctor, an actual psychologist. So when I was struggling with the things I went through last year, the death of my brother, one of the things I used to deal with it is to simply not think about it. He said, Pastor Monty, how, how could you do that? All the ruminating in the world would never change the situation okay this this is what i want you to see all okay well but 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 pastor monty shouldn't you just go through the five seven eighteen forty five stages of grief i don't know but i do know this i can't change it and rumination thinking over and over and over again over something that i cannot change does nothing but destroy me emotionally and create anxiety. Now, I'm going to get real personal. There's likely some parents in this room who are disappointed with how an adult or nearly adult child with decisions that that child is making. And as a parent, uh, you know, you're just eager for them to follow the Lord and eager for them to serve the Lord and, and you're just desperate for this. And every little thing they do and every little thing you read about on Facebook that they're doing, it sets you through the roof. Can I give you some great advice? Stop it. Stop it. Oh, but Pastor Monty, I've got to see what he's up to. So I was reading Facebook and you wouldn't believe what he's up to. It's just going to ruin my day. Stop. Stop. You cannot survive if you turn your mind over to circumstances that you cannot directly control. When our children are grown, they will make decisions. Let me ask you a question. How many in this room ever made a decision that your mama would have been disappointed in? My hand is up. Okay, okay. It is unlikely that our kids will do different from that. But when we allow decisions, and I'm only using this as an example, when we allow the decisions that they make to rip us apart on the inside, we're no longer effective in ministry or in marriage or in family. There are certain things you simply refuse. I say to myself this, when that thought comes in, there's a particular situation at at the church that makes me anxious, and I can do nothing more about it, but it, it bothers me. And the moment that thought comes to my mind, I just say to myself, no, I don't think about that. Boom. And it's gone. Now, he said, well, Pastor Mike, I just don't think I have that discipline. I didn't either when I started doing it. But you know what? I just kept doing it and shutting it down. I decided that anything that would disturb my tranquility would not be something that I would think about. Now, there's a dark side to this. I have to confess. I took it too far. One day my wife said something to me that disturbed my tranquility. 
And I looked at her and I said, Kelly, you're disturbing my tranquility. I will not listen to you anymore. That didn't work. Okay, okay. There are things about which you have to make exceptions. The spouse should be one of these. But, but it really does work to stop ruminating over something you cannot change. And I'm going to get into more detail specifically about things in, in, in future sessions. But this is just in general. So I refuse to think about it. I just don't think about it. It does require mental discipline. It, uh, it, but once you gain the mental muscle, you'll find it easier to dismiss or to refuse unbiblical thinking. But there's a second thing. Not only refuse, but the word reframe. The word reframe. Some thoughts, I just refuse. Some thoughts, I simply refuse. But other, others, by, by the way, look this way. Pastors, look this way, okay? Well, I was having a good Sunday until Sister So-and-So told me what she thought about the sermon. And then you thought about it all night. And you thought about it all day on Monday. Do you know what? Stop it. Do you know why? Sister so-and-so feels negative about everything. You know her. But, 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 but not only that, not only that, you'll never change her mind. You'll never change her mind. And you keep thinking about it. By the way, she made a comment in passing that you read to be very negative. She went home, she ate her dinner, and she's not given it a moment's thought. And you have tortured yourself... And your wife, who had to listen to you, gentlemen. Okay, yeah, some, I'm connecting now. You tortured yourself and your wife and your kids and quite possibly even the dog whom you kicked. Because the dog does look a little bit like sister so-and-so. Boom! <laughs> you tortured everyone over something you can't change. Because her opinion is her own. It's up here in her brain. And you can't crawl into her brain. Refuse some things. But, but the other idea is to reframe. Reframe. What does that mean? It means to change your unhealthy and unbiblical thought to come in line with Scripture. Now, uh, we can guard our emotions by changing unhealthy thinking to healthy and biblical thinking. This is not just putting a positive spin on things, okay? And I'm going to uh, show you. Let's, let's go back to our paradigm here on the board. Okay, someone has a thought. I'm going to give you an example of a thought. Example of a thought is this. No one likes me. No one likes me. That's a thought that comes into mind, okay? No one likes me. If you were to have that thought and dwell on that thought, what feeling... Could that produce? Does anyone have a, a, an idea? Help me. Come on. Just, you know, go. Despair. Okay. It could produce despair. It sure could because if you're alone in this world, you think nobody likes me. And you ruminate on that and you let that run over and over and over again in your mind, then it could cause despair. Anyone else? What, what other emotion could it cause? What other feeling could it cause? Anger. Anger. Sure. How about loneliness? Loneliness. Okay. Now watch. If I have the thought, follow, because follow the paradigm. This will be very practical for you in your own life. If I have the thought, nobody likes me, despair, anger, loneliness, what can that produce in behavior? It can drive all manner of negative behaviors all the way up to suicide. Does everyone follow this? But, but what if we reframed that thought? 
What if we change? See, we've captured it according to the Bible. We've captured it. What if we reframe that thought to say this? Rather than saying, nobody likes me, I can reframe the thought by saying this. I should make new friends. Now, now, you say, well, Pastor Monty, come on. They're, they're, They're very similar. They are. But listen to this. The thought, I could make new friends, places hope in your heart. Okay? It places a sense of possibility in your heart. And then all of a sudden, with hope and possibility, what is my behavior? Well, you know, hey, yeah, Joe's a pretty cool guy at work. I, I don't know him very well, but, but I think I'll get to know him. Maybe we could be friends. It influences your behavior. Does everybody follow me on this? Now, I know you say, oh, Pastor Ronnie, this is just all so simple. Well, for some of you geniuses, it is. But it wasn't so simple for me. Uh, it's not taking... I, I, listen, so, so Pastor Ronnie, are you like Joel Osteen who thinks everything is wonderful? No, I don't have curly hair. <laughs> but but uh, no, everything is not wonderful. But could I not change my thinking to come more in line with Scripture? By, by the way, folks, what's wrong with the thought, nobody likes me? It's not true. It's not true. Because God loves us. Christ died for us. Often these thoughts that we will capture and find that need to be tweaked, to be reframed, often they are a lie. Or they're a horrible exaggeration that we have placed in our minds because it brings us a sense of self-pity. But self-pity doesn't bring anyone to the point of emotional victory. let's, uh, Let's try it. Oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one for you ladies. I wouldn't be surprised if this thought didn't come through the mind of some lady in this room this past week. The thought, my husband works too much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some are laughing. It's okay, we're all pastors and stuff here. My husband works too much. So what is the emotion she feels? Abandonment. Okay, He doesn't care about me. Lack of connection. How about this feeling? I'm not part of the team. What can that lead to? What can lead to distance in the marriage, can't it? Well, he just works too much. He's, his whole life is his job. He doesn't care about us because his whole life is his job. Wait a minute. Let me ask you this. Is that really true? I doubt it. I doubt it. But, but what if we change that thought, ladies, to this? Rather than my husband works too much, my husband is a good provider. See the difference? He's still working. But now there's the positive aspect, my husband is a good provider. How about take that a step further? My husband is a good provider, and he shows his love by providing materially for the family. That changes the whole picture. Well, Pastor Monty, he still works too much. Okay, 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 okay. 30 years of pastor. I've had ladies come to my office. Pastor Monty, my husband, he's a workaholic. He just works too much. Okay, 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 okay. We'll deal with your problem. The next day, a different lady comes. Pastor Monty, my husband won't work at all. <laughs> I knew one couple where the man had 17 jobs in a space of two years. 17 different jobs. They were practically starving. My husband won't work at all. <laughs> okay. There is a happy medium. But, but I'm suggesting the tendency of human nature is to paint everything with a strong sense of negativity because it plays into emotions, watch what I'm about to say, 
that we think that we deserve. And it creates for us the ability to have a pity party. And the problem with our pity party is that we get so involved in it, it actually alters and affects our emotions. Some of you pastors, I've got time for this, some of you pastors, you wake up Monday morning. It was a rough Sunday. The sermon was so bad that you quit in the middle of it. And you have a thought. You think to yourself, I can't do this anymore. And I'm no fool. Because in the last two years, I've had more pastors call me for counseling on a personal level over thoughts of quitting. And I'm going to be transparent. Mentioning in a humorous way to me, the word suicide, joking. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And so, so the thought is, I can't do this anymore. The emotion is despair. The emotion is resignation to failure. The emotion is fear of what is to come if I walk away from my ministry. And I ruminate over and over again. I can't do this anymore. What if I changed that lie? Did you hear what I just called it? I called it a lie. What if I changed that? You say, Pastor Monty, why is that a lie? Because I am very capable as a New Testament pastor. Did you know that? Pastor Monty, you're being arrogant. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I am totally 100% capable to be a New Testament pastor. How do you know? Because the Bible says he, God, hath made us, we pastors, able ministers of the New Testament. It is God who makes us that. That's the truth. It's not that I'm incapable. I am able because of God's enablement. If I have the idea that I can't do this anymore, I should reframe that thought to this. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, now follow me on this, because I want you to see something. When you capture these thoughts and analyze them, do you see in the core of many of them a lie? Do you see it? If you see in the core, for example, no one likes me, that's a lie, because God loves you. My husband works too much. Eh, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I can't do this anymore? No. No, that's a lie, because you can do all things through Christ. Do you see in this the fingerprints of Satan? Can I caution you about something, pastors? When we're we're capturing our thoughts, right, we also need to source our thoughts. Source them. Pastor Money, I'm the one thinking my thoughts, probably most of the time. But isn't it interesting in Acts chapter 5 that Peter, when he was rebuking Ananias and Sapphira, isn't it interesting that Peter asked the question, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Have you ever thought about that? That at least hints, at the very least, it hints that there's some demonic access to the mind. Okay? And when we think a lie, can I ask you a question? Who does Jesus say is a liar and the father of it? Satan himself. If I think thoughts 
that are fundamentally a lie. At the very least, there is a core of something satanic or demonic going on. This is why in our scripture it says this. We are to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against a knowledge of God. Now, now, now pause for a moment. No one likes me. That's not true. It also exalts itself against a knowledge of God because God said he loves you. Following the thinking here? I can't do this anymore. It's not true. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God because our God has said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Follow what I'm saying here. And at the core of the lie that we believe, and and you might jot this down, at the core of the lie that we believe is the elimination of God from the equation. I'm a pastor. Of course, God is in all my thoughts. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I know pastors. We sometimes struggle. And when we struggle with wrong thinking, it is because, not on purpose, but it is because somehow God has been eliminated from the equation. When we eliminate God from the equation, we believe a lie. Oh, Pastor Monty, if God really loved me, he would do this, 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 and this. And you have heard people say that in your church. You've heard people talk like that. We know better than that. We would never say that. But sometimes we'd think it. And if we think it and believe that lie and eliminate God from the equation of our thinking, we eliminate God from the equation of our circumstances, all of a sudden life becomes very, very bleak. I'm suggesting... And here's what I want you to get. Our thoughts create our emotions. Our emotions drive our behaviors. In order to have biblical emotion, the right emotion, I need to have biblical thinking. In order to do that, rather than allowing my thoughts to run randomly through my brain just as they come, I need to capture them. I need to confront them. I need to say, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this biblical? Is this not? When I analyze that thinking at that point, there are some thoughts I just refuse and stop thinking about them altogether. There are other thoughts I'm dealing with, say, a situation or something, that I will reframe and change to fall in line with the Bible and in line with revealed truth. When I learn to do that consistently, those thoughts, whether refused or reframed, will produce right emotion that will drive healthy behavior. Now, now I want you to look this way because my session is over. In the next three sessions, I'm going to get incredibly detailed and give you actual rules and paradigms for guiding your thoughts what to dismiss, how to handle it, how to handle situations in life and circumstances. And you can practice this on a daily level. And I'm going to give you a promise. I will give you a guarantee. If you will practice this, it will transform your thinking and your emotion. Now, every eye up here. 
I preached a series of messages on this. They were kind of random. They're not organized in a series. They were just kind of random. I preached a series of messages. I had a lady about a year ago. I did a funeral for her husband. He had been a New York City fire, uh, firefighter. He died in Indiana. He served here for some time. The funeral was at the firehouse. I'd never met these people in my life. A friend of a friend of a friend got me involved in the funeral. So I went over to the firehouse, introduced myself to the widow lady, the new widow and the family, talked a little bit about the man who had passed, and, and I had his funeral in the firehouse. I never thought I'd hear from those people again. The lady came to church the next Sunday. She said, Pastor, what you said? She said, I, I just want to be part of this church. And in, in the back of my mind, pastors, what am I thinking? Oh, yeah, all emotion. We'll see. She'll never be back after one Sunday. Well, she came Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then she came Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then Sunday morning, Sunday And it went on and on and on. Finally, she joined the church. She joined the church. And, boy, she's become an active member, and she's been there for now just over a year. So we know they're going to stick, you know, and they've been around for a year, right? A little faith in that. She came up to me two weeks ago. She said, Pastor, remember all those messages you preached about thinking? I said, I said, yes. She said, by the way, she sits in the front and she takes notes. She's an older lady. She takes notes. She said, you know, I've been doing that. I said, that's good. I said, I called her by name. I said, she's an Italian lady. I called her by name. I said, that's good. And she said, let me tell you something. She said, um, for the last eight years, every week, every week of my life, I go to a psychologist. I meet with him every week. She said, you started preaching these messages around about August and September and something like that. She said, I've been listening. I've been writing everything down. She said, I've done everything you said. She said, last week when I went to my regular weekly meeting with the psychologist, she said, uh, the psychologist sat me down and he said, okay. He said, Lynn, he said, you need to come clean. And Lynn said, what? And he said, Lynn, he said, I've been seeing you every week for eight years. He said, frankly, you are a changed person. He said, in the last three months, you are completely different. And he said, I want to know what changed you. And she said, she said, well, I'll bring my notes next week. <laughs> she went through the sermon ideas with him. But I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, in, in 20 years of pastoring Faith Baptist Church, the series I gave, I've never had more people write me or call me if you need help in this area, I really want to help you this week. And in workshops and things, I want to be really informal. I want to answer your questions. I want to help you. Anyone who's struggling in this way, by the way, don't have an ounce of shame about it. Don't you dare have an ounce of shame about it. Anyone who's struggling this way, okay, listen, listen. I want to help. And I know that the answer is very practical because my thoughts create my emotions. And my emotions drive my behaviors. And if I allow myself to get into a vicious cycle, I can stay there for many, many months or years. But the Bible has the answer, and there is a way out. And God's Word can change, fundamentally change us all. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit EnrichmentRetreat.com.